I'd like to welcome director Tim Wardle and producer Becky Reed. I believe you're both working at Raw and then the idea was brought to you then? Yes, yeah, so I was um, uh, running Raw. I was the head of development at Raw throughout my career. I've kind of worked, I don't know, 50, 60% of the time in development. I used to be head of docs development for the BBC. And um, doing that job, you kind of get pretty cynical about ideas. You see so many people bring the same old thing in all the time, and you sort of just get very jaded very quickly. But the producer, the producer Grace Hughes Hallett, brought this idea in, and immediately I, it was clear that it was probably the best doc idea I'd ever come across. I, mean, I, I thought she'd exaggerated it, as many people do when they bring them in, but it really, it, it really was that good. Um, and you know, it, it, it was clear that it was good because it works on on multiple levels. You know, you've got this quite tabloid human story of these brothers separated and reunited and kind of separated again. But then it labels, enables you to ask, look at these much bigger kind of philosophical questions of nature versus nurture, free will, destiny, the nature of family, um, that kind of thing. So it was clear that it had kind of legs beyond the, the, the tabloid story. Um, and then, of course, you know, the first thing you go, oh, this is an amazing story. The second thing you go, why has no one told this before? And quite quickly, we found out that a lot of people had tried to tell it before. Um, there were definitely, we, we know of three attempts by major US networks. I mean, 60 Minutes, which is one of the biggest kind of current affairs shows in America, um, twice tried in the 80s and once in the 90s. And in every time we spoke to producers who'd, who'd kind of worked on those shows, and they got pretty much all the way through. I mean, you know, the program's been cut and ready to go. And then they've been pulled by people higher up the network. So there were a lot of kind of conspiracy theories about why this story hadn't been told before. And I think that just made it even more intriguing. Well, yeah, and it was just a challenge. I mean, from, from my perspective as a producer, you've got something to sort of chase. And people are, if you know there's a story and you know people don't want to tell it, then there's a kind of, you know, it, you need to want to find out why. And, uh, you know, the more people are reluctant to talk about something, almost the more, uh, you, know, you, you know, invested you become in trying to understand what, what that's all about. So... It makes you quite paranoid as well. I mean, we it spent half the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, documentary filmmakers amongst you will know that, you know, it, there's a healthy dose of paranoia when you make any film and people aren't calling you back and you're like, it's like dating. You're like, why aren't they calling me back? It's been three days, <laughs> four days. But on this one, it was like doubly so. And actually, I think a big part of our relationship working on it was kind of, well, particularly you calming me down and being like, you know, we've just got to push it. We can't get into that headspace where you're like, we can't contact them because they're going to contact them and they're going to contact them and it's all going to fall down. Well, we were worried even today about the power that the Jewish board have. And I think David said that they have the far-reaching tendrils of the Jewish board and we were concerned that people who were still alive, who might talk to us, would st were still connected to the Jewish board in some way and that if we phoned somebody and talked about the, the fact we were making the film, that that would have a sort of house of cards effect of doors closing. And, you know, even, even going back to some of the other attempts... To make this, um, very early on, somebody said to the boys that when, when they met lots of doors in Washington closed and that it was a political hot potato. So that, that was a huge layer of concern for us to actually just to make it. So just, just to be here having made it is, is, feels very good. Was there ever a point where you had to actually persuade the brothers to be part of and their willingness to invest their trust and faith again in yeah, people uh, story. Yes, 100%. I mean, it took four... I, I, got, I got engaged, married, and had a kid <laughs> in the time it took to, to get them on board and get mm. them... You know, it's four years. And, you know, when you see the extent of what they've been through, you understand why they might find it hard to, to trust people. But also, there are all kinds of other things. Like, normally, you know, with, with people talking about trauma and going through the kind of... Mm. Talking about the kind of stuff they're talking about, we would normally kind of offer them the opportunity to talk to a psychologist or a counsellor or whatever. But they, because they've been through so much 
traumatic stuff at the hands of psychologists and psychiatrists. There was a huge ethical mm. debate about whether to even make that offer. Mm. You know, ultimately we did make it and they turned it down. But there was it, there was so many complicating factors to, to and then and then raising the funding as well. That mm. that took the best part of four years as well. In terms of that period for four years, I'm really interested, and I think I've heard you speak about it as well. The idea of the passage of time in the <coughs> actual events in the film and actually obviously the four years of making it and kind of how that passage of time helped you to shape the narrative and shape the film and work on it and also then you know have like at least 30 years of like there yeah story. I mean well I mean the four years it took, I mean it took four years to get off and then five I mean we're almost six years since we started it now and um the, the main advantage actually of the four years to develop it was that I managed to sort of um coerce the people I was working with to let me direct it because I don't think I would have been the first certainly not in the states I definitely wouldn't have been the first choice you know and and, and a lot of the funders out there are very very fussy about the people they'll let direct but it took so long to get it off the ground that I was so intertwined with it by the end that they couldn't kind of so I kind of muscled my way into that one um but um I no I'm a big believer with documentary I mean time is time is a brilliant antagonist the longer you have the bigger the time span the better the longer you have to tell a story you know, and this was a story over six decades, three families. Um, it was, it, it was rich. It created its own problems, actually, just in regards to how we managed it. I mean, there was so much, even, even with the Jewish board and the study and the adoption agency, we had, there was so much research to wade through and figure out what was really important. And we had a lot of discussions about how to focus that. And, and with the families, you know, people always ask about why the sisters aren't in the film. And we met them all and discussed, you know, them all taking part. And they were very happy to, but it was just a case of how to streamline it enough. I mean, with three brothers already and three families and all this other external stuff about the study, it was, it was quite a beast of a story to sort of keep concise. And, and I suppose before, <coughs> kind of in the four years and you're making it, you already know the outcomes as well. And so in terms of stylistic... Well, we knew some. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's quite unusual. I mean, you know... Um, I see uh, past tense documentary making and present tense observational filmmaking as almost separate genres, you know, and, and in terms of how they edit and how they, mm. the, the pace and the tone, they're just completely different. And we knew we were going to have these two elements. We knew we had about two thirds of the story we kind of vaguely knew, although Becky dug up a huge amount of information and characters and people that we had no idea even existed, like, like Natasha, the, the, the slightly <laughs> extraordinary lady in, in, uh, in La Jolla. Um, but then, <laughs> but then um, we, we, we always had this past, uh, present tense element. And that was a huge, I mean, trying to get fully, it fully funded here. Had so many conversations with people saying, what's the third act? Mm. How's, I was like, well, it's a documentary. You know, my background is as an observational kind of <laughs> filmmaker. You don't necessarily know how things are going to end. But that was really, I think because, because we could plot out so brilliantly half the film, it sort of really freaked people out that we didn't really know where we were going with the rest of it. So in terms of that style, and so mixing the observational verite, but also then you have this archive and kind of, if you're mixing two complete styles, it seemed to work very, very well, but was there ever a favor from a producer's point of view that you're mixing these two completely contrasting forms of yeah, filmmaking? Yeah, uh, I mean, we had a lot of conversations even through the edit with Michael, the editor, who did a great job as well of how to manage all of that. And, I mean, there was, there's also reconstruction in it, which was mm. a decision we made quite early on just because there wasn't, we didn't have access to any archive for that time at all. And the boys' story was, you know, it hadn't even happened yet when they met at college. And so there, there were quite a lot of conversations of how to, how to manage that. And my, my, my objective was always to try and force the perspective so that you're, you're, you're seeing the film from the boys' perspective, you're seeing the events unfold. So 
you know, people talk a lot about the twists and the, you know, and, and we did, of course, we spent time, you know, working out, especially how all these different elements, mm. story elements would fit together. But essentially what you're seeing are those moments in their story play out in chronological order. And you're hearing them as the audience as they, as they heard them. And that's why, although I'm very kind of ambivalent about reconstruction, that's why it was so important to have at the top because you had to be on that journey with Bobby when he first goes to college because it just gets you on side with them. And then you care about what happens to them later. And then filming their interviews. And if, can you talk us through a little bit of just kind of the framing of that and setting that up and making them, A, feel comfortable within that situation, but how you created that space, it becomes kind of... I yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been really lucky to work with, you know, I've, I've worked, at, worked with some of the best British documentary makers, you know, people like Katie Bailiff and Brian Hill at Century Films and, you know, Ed Coulthard, Morgan Matthews, you know, Barton Dimitri at Raw, and just, you just kind of, by osmosis, pick up stuff on how, how to be around people. And I just think um, it's, it's really hard. It's, it, it's all about trust, isn't it? And it's, it's about, um, but you still, you know, however skillful as a filmmaker you are, I think, you know, what you, what you want is emotional honesty. Like, people can just tell you the facts, particularly when it's past tense, and it will be okay. But what you want is for them to be able to go there and like, remember what it felt like in those moments. And I'll be totally honest, I, I didn't know that they could do that. I don't think either of us did, because they've told their story so many times. But <clears throat> there's something about it, and particularly the joyful way it starts, mm. that just enabled them and their <clears throat> friends to kind of plug straight back into that. And it was, it was kind of electric filming those interviews. Um, also, Tim's being very modest that I think you are quite genuine and that they, I think, enjoyed mm. talking to you and, and did trust you. And there was a huge good cop, bad cop element where <laughs> <laughs> I was obviously the bad cop all the time and, <laughs> you know, we used to have difficult conversations with them and they enjoyed talking to you because, you know, I think they could feel that you were really invested in their story. And, you, you know, Tim went out and met them a lot early on and then I went out and met them all a lot and we had all of the families who all really wanted to tell their story as well, you know. So it was a sort of big effort of getting everybody on side. And I think they'd waited a long time to do it, and mm. this was the right time. Also on interview technique, this is slightly nefarious. I can't remember who told me that it may have been Morgan, but I put them on really uncomfortable chairs. <laughs> so they couldn't ever quite get comfortable and say, well, we should... And the, the sound recorders at the beginning was, they're shifting, shifting. Let's get a comfortable chair. I was like, shh, shh. They tell them we've got a comfortable one in the back there. And um, particularly, you know, after lunch where people come back and, you know, the energy always drops. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a whole day interviewing someone, it's just simple things like that. I then afterwards found out Bobby has a really bad back and felt terrible. But, <laughs> Made um, but just little things like that, you know, it makes people lean forward mm -hmm. a bit more and stuff like that. They're just bit more active in the phrase. They're, they're both also really great storytellers. Like David, especially for me, he really, he's such a, he's like his dad, a larger than life character, and he really lights up the screen. And you, I feel every time I, I watch it, and I've seen it so much now, but I still feel the joy that he felt when he met his brothers, you know, and, and, mm. and, and Bobby too, who's a different type of character, you know, he's got a different personality to David in some, you know, in some ways. And so they tell it differently, but I, I really felt when they sat down and, and did their interviews, it was, you know, and I'd, I'd spoken to them for hours for research before that, so I knew all, so much of it, but all these other things came out along the way as well. It really made me appreciate how America is like a nation of storytellers. Yeah. I mean, you know, we did, I think we did 14 interviews and used 13 of them. I mean, that ratio, you just wouldn't, I mean, you just wouldn't expect, certainly not from my experience making films in the past. And I think that, you know, the richest people always think of oh, the central protagonists are really important. Of course they are, but the supporting people are really important. And one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of and I really love about the film is the, the fact that two women in their sort of late 80s, early 90s 
Hedy, who's David's aunt, mm. um, who's the sister of Bubbler, and um, Natasha, who's the scientist, they're kind of like opposite ends of the kind of moral spectrum on the, on the whole thing. And the fact that they are so prominent and important in terms of the kind of moral tone of the film is really, I, I, we, didn't, we didn't know we were doing that, but it, it sort of came out in the edit. Anyone got any questions in the audience? Thank, thank you very much. Um, I'm an identical twin, but was not separated at birth. And I've also worked with children who've been adopted. And I was intrigued whether that, the adoptive factor was, as it were, factored into the way they all turned out. Because quite a few, from, from my experience, quite a few adoptive placements break down. Yeah, I mean, what, good question. I mean, one of the things, <clears throat> one of the things in the study records, actually, at the end, when we were reading through some of the pages that the Jewish Board released, were all the, the, the scientists were sitting down and discussing um, around what all the results of all the data meant, and they were trying to figure out what the data meant. And they, one of the things they kept asking was. Um, you know, we've got all these sets of twins, and they've all got quite, they're all quite disturbed, they've all got quite similar behavioural problems amongst them, what, what could possibly be causing that? And actually, one, one of the, <laughs> they, never, they never once mooted, you know, or questioned whether their, the separ separating them had, had caused any of that damage. I mean, I, I know that there can be issues in adoption, and yeah. Eddie was... Um, yeah, I mean, that was the other really killer detail that we, well, one of them from the st study notes that we saw is that Eddie was adopted by another family mm. before the Gallon family, and it was a failed adoption, and he was given back. So, you know, you wonder what impact mm. that must have had. You and know, he, he was fostered separately. Which, yeah. yeah he, Dave, Robert and David were fostered together for six months, and Eddie was fostered alone, and during which time he was adopted and given back and then adopted again. So there was a lot of trauma in his really early yeah. years. I've got a microphone just here. Yeah. Is this on? Yeah. Two quick questions. One is, have they ever found out who their father was. And second, I know you mentioned the sisters, that it would have made it a bit top-heavy and a bit complicated, but uh, did any of them ever express an interest in being involved with the film, or did they want to stay well away from it? Shall I do the... Yeah. Um, sorry, the first question, uh, first question about the, the father. Um, they did find their birth father. Uh, he was... They, he was unaware that, because it was a one-night stand, he didn't even know that the, um, the girl was pregnant. And so they rocked up on his doorstep, all three of them, and they're like, <laughs> hey, we're your son. And he, he'd but obviously, he'd read it in the paper. He'd seen them on TV, yeah. but he didn't, he obviously didn't think he was connected to it at all. And uh, by that time, by the time I was with him, I think he had a son of his own, and his son was like, hey, dad, who are those guys? And so he had quite a bit of explaining to do. But they weren't, they didn't end up being particularly close to their father. I mean, they were slightly more close to their mother, but... And Bobby actually recently said to me that he thought the father might have had, um, might have been bipolar. Sorry. Might have had a bipolar disorder. Um, and yes, we, the sisters were all happy to take part. It was, it was really just a matter that they, um, when the boys met, as, as they said in the film, they all moved into David's house very quickly and uh, sort of just hung out together, this, you know, this trio. And because of the ages that they were, the sisters had all just gone to college. So the sisters had at that point moved out. So although they were together for sort of family gatherings and stuff, it was more just that the boys were inseparable. Um, and so they all had good relationships with their sister and, and um, they were sort of partially studied through this study in regards to the, the whole family interaction. But they just, um, it was just a sort of another layer and more characters and we were just trying to keep it as streamlined as possible. Really. Yeah, as, as it was, there was a huge amount of pressure early on for us to make it a series, like a Netflix mm. series or whatever. And it could have absolutely sustained that. We'd lost so much. But I, 
I guess I'd always, you know, I'd loved, you know, all the, the feature, brilliant feature docs by British directors, Man on Wire and Touching the Void and all those kind of things and just sort of felt like if I ever came across a story which justified it, then I'd, I'd kind of go for it. And um, I like films where there's a surplus of narrative, where there's like almost too much and you need to watch it again. You know, it's pretty dense, particularly the second half, but I kind of like those films. So um, we did have to lose some things and the, sister, the sisters were, were one. But as Becky says, I mean, the key detail with the sisters is that they weren't, part of the study per se. They weren't, when they were placed, it wasn't, there wasn't some long-term plan to do the study. It was just that when they came to do the experiment, <coughs> to choose the families, they, they used the sisters. Given the uh, appalling nature of this uh, study, which was done you know, secretly, is there any appetite in, let's say, Congress or, or somewhere amongst the, the US authorities to make a public apology to the people that were victims of the study, if that's the right word? Uh, well, good question. I mean, there, there was there was government funding involved. I mean, I think I think the National Institute of Mental Health gave about ten thousand dollars in nineteen sixty five to to the study, but they've and they've given us that document through freedom of, freedom of information, but have never uh, said that nobody there currently working there has any idea about it, any of it. And um, the Jewish Board did write a letter to Robert and David and apologise. It's the first them, apology after six which, years. Yeah, which which sort of felt good because they, you know, they didn't. We did approach the Jewish board and they farmed us out to a PR crisis management agency, <laughs> and so we didn't have any any direct dialogue with the Jewish board. And the, the Jewish board farmed David and Robert out to a medical malpractice attorney. So they were very. You can draw your own conclusions. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they were really worried about it, but they they very much didn't want to engage with us. Um, so having seen the letter that they wrote, Robert and David, it, it did feel. I think they, you know, well, I mean, were hilarious, grateful for that. But hilarious things the Jewish board. I mean, you know, they, they wrote to Robert and David, or they, they called David, I think, and they said that, that what the, what one of the people on the board said, "I've just had the privilege of watching the, your documentary in the comfort of my own home." This is before it was released in cinemas, and we were like, "How the hell did you get a link?" I mean, I, I wasn't allowed a link myself. Like yeah. the distributors had it on lockdown, mm. so it, it sort of fed into this narrative that they kind of have have connections everywhere. Yeah, but they, you know, they had also. Um, I don't think I don't think they'll apologise publicly to answer the question, but I think um, they uh, over the years had sort of denied and tried to keep this quiet as different sets of twins had tried to get access, you know. And in terms of lawsuits, I mean, I just think it's a statute of limitations nightmare. The, I mean, the brothers have been talking with various lawyers, but you know, really, they should have. I mean, they did look after Eddie they died, tried, yeah. or you no, know, just before Eddie died, they went to see. Um, someone, a lawyer, and he was like, well, look at you guys, you know, you've got this restaurant, you're doing well, Where's, where are the damages here, kind of thing. Mm. And I think, you know, so much time's elapsed. And there, there was another lawsuit, actually, that Alice, uh, Bobby's family went to some lawyers, and they said that half, uh, two of the people very senior in the law firm were trying to adopt from Louise Wise because it was such a prestigious agency, so they didn't want to touch it, and then there was another law, law firm who said it was a political hot potato, didn't they? So I think... Yeah. It's been, been tried, and, and yeah, it hasn't been tried. And then, in terms of any more revelation of the research papers, they're still with um, Yale and on lockdown. Still at yeah. Yale on lockdown until 2065. The Jewish board say that if people approach them saying, Will we part of this study? they will tell them whether they were and gave them, give them the documents. We don't Which have all... took, took 14 months for us to get the documents. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know... And uh, we, yeah, we don't have that much faith because in, in the, in the two, in mid 2000s, there were um, two brothers who found each other and went to the Jewish board and said, will we part of this experiment? And they said, no. And they went away, and then they spoke to Lawrence Perlman, the scientist at the end of the mm. film, and he was like, hey, yeah, I remember you guys. I came to your house. I've got, here are some notes on you that I studied with. <laughs> and so then they went back to the Jewish board, and they were like, look, here's some proof that we were studied. And they were like, oh, yeah, you were actually, kind of thing. So, and, and actually, the amazing thing that's happened since the film has come out, we got this phone call from this lady um, from New Jersey saying, 
I've just seen your film, and I was adopted from that agency, and I've just taken a DNA test, and I've matched with someone in California, and I've looked her up on Facebook, and we look just like each other. And I, I, I filmed them meeting in New York at the age of 54, twins who'd been separated for the first time. It was, it was extraordinary. In terms of just stepping back a little bit, but in terms of I mentioned New Jersey and New York State, and that obviously them all being in the radius of however many miles, um, getting them to tell their stories in terms of a storyteller, in terms of telling us about the differences in terms of class and demographics and upbringing and schooling, how much of that was you talking to them about those things and how much was it just their natural kind of element? And that, is that how you saw kind of those differences within them? They, they, it was David, actually, I think, who said that. They, I think they originally thought this, that it was all about class. I think, I think yeah. you know... And I was, I mean, I mean, I'm British. I'm obsessed with class, on, on <laughs> subconsciously or whatever. But um, also, I think being being um, being an outsider is often the case. Really helped, I think. You know, they, they there was a lot of um, kind of knowledge that would have been assumed knowledge with an American filmmaker, and so they felt that they needed to explain us. Well, this is Scarsdale. This is the posh area. You know, mm. and then that came out in the film. And then you know, Bobby started talking about his car and how it was a piece of junk, and suddenly it was like, oh, the car can be representative of you know mm. how how. Status-wise, how they've done, and it, it, you know, so that those those details, I think, us being outsiders, people sort of spoon-fed us that stuff. But it was great because mm. unless you're from the East Coast, or, or you know, or a specific Jewish area, Jewish you areas know. of New York, you wouldn't know some of the details. So it's great. Someone has a microphone. Just thank. Hi there. Um, as a, as a filmmaker and an adopted person, I, I found so much to be, you know, really engaged me for the last uh, hour and a half or so. And I'd love to talk to you privately, you know, at length. But really, I guess my, my, my one question at the moment um, was you alluded to the fact that Bobby and David had a, had a bit of a falling out and they came together towards the end of the film. What is their relationship uh, at the moment? Um, I think David calls it a work in progress. Um, they, I, I think there's an awful lot that went unsaid after the breakdown of their relationship and then obviously the impact of that on Eddie and the kind of snowball that that led to, I think they, they just didn't talk about Alan. You know, Alan had so much to say to us on, on and off camera. The big guy. About, about the relationship because he'd been living with Eddie during some of that time. And um, I think they've, you know, they meet up every year for their birthday which and play golf together, which is nice. And they've, you know, they met, when you see them meeting in the film for the first time, that's the first time we'd ever seen them together, you know. And, oh no, you did it four years ago, didn't you, I think. I mean, briefly, but yeah. it was, you know, I mean, they weren't it talking. Was awkward, when they, when, when yeah. we were making the film, they weren't talking, and yeah. that was very awkward. So it was it was really difficult. and um, But in some ways, it's, you know, it's created conversations with, uh, amongst them all, and their families have all met up at the premiere in New York, and the daughters who hadn't seen each other for years or had a big sleepover like the next day. And so yeah, like the, the daughters, really they, they, they all, all three of them have daughters. And they all look really alike. They're, they're, <laughs> well, they're cousins, but they're the equivalent of half sisters because their father's genetically identical. And they really hadn't spent much time. And due to the film and then coming to contact, they've ended up hanging out. They're all in their early 20s. And yeah, the one yeah. said to me, you know, that bit in the film where they talk about rolling around on the floor like puppies. That she was like, that was us when we went out after, you know, after seeing the film. So that was that was lovely and unexpected. Thank you very much for this film. I just wonder, as a filmmaker, what what did you get out of it, personally? Wow. <laughs> so no, it's a good question. It's a really good yeah. question. I've I've done a lot of Q and A's, and no one's ever asked me that before. Um, uh, wow. A lot of sleepless nights. Um, no, I mean, I think for me, it was like it. It felt like the dream project because I, it was all the stuff I'm interested in. I studied psychology at university. I've got, I'm one of three brothers, not, not triplets, but 
Um, you know, uh, my wife is a Jewish psychotherapist. It's like, <laughs> this is my project. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I think that um, what we've got out of it, I mean, what we've got out of it is just, I mean, the last 11 months have been completely insane. You know, we went to, we, we, we are television documentary producers. You know, we worked at good companies, and I'd like to think we've done good stuff, but we took the film to Sundance, and it, I mean, we, we just thought it was gonna go out on Channel 4, and it got into Sundance, and we went out there, and we were sort of tagging along with uh, our production company. It had American Animals, which is this big drama. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we had the premiere, and uh, Darren Aronofsky tweeted about it, and then it just, the last eight, 11 months have been insane, you know, and for us, it's opened so many doors. I mean, I don't know yeah, what I don't, do you it's, think? No, it's just, it's been surreal and, and, and wonderful, but I, I think also, for me, there was a sense of, there's a huge injustice that happened to the brothers, mm. and, to be able to work on something where you feel that you've made a, one little step towards helping that in some way has been really satisfying. And uh, it's also made me think an awful lot about my own family and my own upbringing and who we are and how we get to how we become who we are. And that, I mean, that's a thing I just think about all the time now, you know, and you had a son during, you know, when we've been making this. Has it you? changed your kind of perception on nature versus nurture to where you're one school of thought and oh, now? I go between them a lot. But I think, I think I sit with Larry Wright where he says they're, you know, they compete mm. as competitors, but uh, yeah. I, I think coming into it, I was very much like, like the psychologists were actually, you know, in the 60s, they really believed that nature was, uh, that nurture was everything and that, you know, kids were like, you know, tabula rasa, blank slate, mm. you know, and you could kind of shape them and actually hanging out with, uh, Natasha and various other people, it's quite shocking. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, ultimately the film says that, that nurture is important, which I do believe it is, but I think I was shocked how powerful biology is. And I think having a kid as well while making it, you know, I, he didn't come out a blank slate, he came out with a personality, and that was really shocking to me. And I, maybe I'm being really naive, but, but seeing how powerful biology is and, and hearing all these stories of twins who are separate and then reunited and the, the similarities they do have outside of the kind of media superficialities, it does make you think about um, about who we are, you know, how much we can shape our own lives and how much where we've ended up is just a product of our biology. Hi, uh, I'm a twin as we are um, identical. Like, um, we were um, born together and we, we were fostered out when we were younger and then we grew up together and now we're just completely apart, which is like really weird. Um, and so I thought your movie was fascinating. Thank you for it, it was really good. And I think, um, um, the, the nature versus nurture. I don't know. It's really a hard one because you've got. I think everything everything you do in your life shapes your personality. Because my brother and myself we're that close together, and now we're just like miles apart. We have a conversation. I'm going like, mate, you know what? I don't want to. You know, it's just like it's really weird. But um, yeah, it's um, fascinating. I think the whole thing, the twin thing, is really of the triplet twin thing is a really fascinating subject. Yeah. I, I I do. I mean, I think there's this thing where. People have been fascinated, for, you know, for eons. You're going back to Romus and Remus with yeah. twins and this idea of twins. And Lawrence Wright, who's the, who's the, who's the journalist in the film, he, he, he's written a really interesting book about it and about how, you know, in some cultures, twins are revered and in others, tribal cultures, they're killed, you know, because they're seen yeah. as... And th there is a fascination. I, I'm not sure, even having made this film, I ever quite understand why we're as fascinated as we are. It's got to be... It, it, subconsciously, it's speaking to us about, you know... A, a, ourselves as individuals and what makes us individuals but 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 thank you i mean both yourself and the people who've talked about adoption it's really it's surprising to me when we show this film just how many people have experience of adoption or multiple birth or both and it's really um 
I'm always very nervous, but we, we haven't had a bad bad response so far. But it is really um, interesting how many people have been touched by those kind of issues, and um, it's not something I, I I've thought about adoption a lot more mm. since making yeah. this film and realised how prevalent it is and how important it is. Yeah, well, I'll add my name to that list as well, um, along with so many of the questioners this evening, which is extraordinary. Just a simple one to finish with. Um, what do the two guys, two brothers, do for a living now? Uh, David is... I always get the model up. David is a... Um, so, so, well, David, David, David tried to carry on running the restaurant for a bit, but as he says, it's quite hard running a restaurant called Triplets when there's only one of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, he, he, yeah, he's, a, he's now... He's an insurance. Insurance yeah, uh, salesman, and, yeah. and Bobby is a, a lawyer. And they're both, doing, they're both doing okay. I mean, I think the damage, you can see it on their faces. Mm. It's still there. Mm. It's not going to go away. Um, but, I mean... I don't know, I'd like to think that the, the act of, I mean, that this is what they say to me, and I, I, I hope I believe it, that the act of sharing their story and having people bear witness to it um, has made them feel better about what they've been through. And certainly, you know, at screenings, people come up and hug them, and people apologise mm -hmm. to them. I've had psychologists kind of breaking down and apologising on behalf of all, you know, psychology and psychiatry and things mm -hmm. to them. So... I don't know. They've, I think they've enjoyed it as well. I mean, they are showmen. So. They've enjoyed the... Yeah, I mean, I also think one of the other things we got out of it, actually, I would say, is that um, they were so... Um, they, they, have, they went through the circuit and had sort of lots of promises made and were flown out to Hollywood when they'd met and had, you know, thought that their story would be told and before, you know, before so much had happened. Um, you know, really just the reunion and a lot of the mistrust, I guess, that uh, and from being damaged, I think, by the way their, their lives were orchestrated. Um, was a big struggle for us, wasn't it? So it has been really nice to actually come good on the things that we'd hoped. You know, we always just said, oh, we hope we might get into Sundance. Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, and so to have had that and then to have this other afterlife to the film with them, you know, um, has been really wonderful. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, there's a dramatic, uh, you know, scripted movie in the, in the, in the offing that looks like it's going to happen that they are kind of heavily involved in and will benefit from financially, which is, which is great. You know, I think there's this... And I sort of sense sometimes as documentary makers that we're meant to be, you know, then, you know, the contributors aren't meant to benefit in any way because that would be somehow kind of blurring an ethical line. But I think, you know, they, they gave us a year of their, well, more than that. And, 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 you know, the amount of work they did on the film and just in terms of giving us their, all their archive and their family and everything, you know, I think it's right that they, that they benefit. Mm -hmm. It could also be scoped to kind of revisit them again in however many years. You can do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Becky, I mean, you've, you've had a year. But I mean, it's worth saying, I, I should really emphasise that there, there is so much investigative journalism and stuff that's in, mm. gone into the film that has never... It, there was no book. It wasn't like a, a Man and Wire where there was a book, you know, that it was adapted from or whatever. You know, and Becky is a journalist by training and did the most incredible job where everyone was saying this is impossible. You'll never, and you'll never get anywhere. And literally... And it was... It's not on the internet. You know, this is pre-internet. So it was like banging doors... Lots of people are dead, spending months in Jewish archives. And, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, libraries. The, yeah, and the, you know, like Natasha, the lady in the film. I mean, Becky found her on what was it page? Like... <laughs> I know. I was. Um, <laughs> I'm just. Oh, sorry, no, we have to go. Um, I was waiting for a phone call. It was about ten o'clock at, at night in the office, and it was just you know just a cleaner hooping up around you. And I was just sort of literally just waiting for the time for me to ring somebody and um, sort of flicking through a Google search for pictures of Peter Newbauer because we had so few of them, and. Um, it's on like page 12 of a Google search and I would say no one ever goes past page two of a Google search ever. And, uh, and I just saw a picture of Natasha and it sort of said, you know, twin study. And I thought, oh, yeah, I haven't seen her before. Who's that? And then and she'd written a little piece for like the Jewish Chronicle. No, like a tiny local newspaper. San Diego, yeah. Ten years ago about the twin study. And I was like, oh, 
oh, she know, you know, uh, wow. And, and I rang Tim and I was like, Tim, I found this woman. Should I ring her? I'm going to ring her. Oh my God, I'm going to ring her. I'm going to ring her. And, and I rang him and she said, oh yeah, come over. When are you coming for dinner? Come, you know, be, and I, this is extraordinary. Nobody ever says anything like that, you know. And uh, so I rang Tim back and I said, do we think she's 86? Should we buy tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, it was a sort of late night, lucky find. But uh, That's what makes stocks, isn't it? You know, the lucky things that happen. Congratulations on the film. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for having me.